What's happening, my friends? Welcome back to the Bankrupt Hippo YouTube channel. This is another episode of Coffee and Kernels, where we talk all about the world of movies, video games, TV shows, and the like, and all the glorious things going on within them. Welcome to episode 16. We've got another great show for you today. We're going to talk about a whole ton of stuff, but first, friends, if you're enjoying these videos and you're enjoying these podcasts, feel free to like, comment, subscribe at your leisure, or check out any of these other great playlists at your leisure. If you're into any of the aforementioned topics, we'd love to have you to join in on the fun. So, for today, we're going to talk about a multitude of things. James Bond final trailer that ended up dropping. We're going to review The Mitchells versus The Machines. We're also going to review Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. Then we're also going to discuss the Saints Row trailer and some of the thoughts that the fan community has been having since it debuted. I'm going to introduce a special segment for this week, which is going to be talking all about my top three favorite game franchises of all time, which I would love for you guys to listen to and give your in, get your input on. So to kick off this episode, let's talk about the No Time to Die new James Bond trailer. No Time to Die trailer for 007 James Bond came out. It's the final trailer in the US. I believe it's one of three, and I'm really, really excited for this movie. It debuts October 8th, so about a month out. And after seeing this final trailer, I am just so so pumped i decided to go back and watch all three trailers and just provide a little bit of analysis in this video detailing why i'm so excited and my friends don't forget to like comment subscribe or check out any of these other great playlists at your leisure if you want to get in on the fun so this final trailer definitely tropes on the fact that this is daniel craig's last movie as james bond from all the way back in 2007 when he debuted in casino royale up till this point at least in the titles that i have seen it's been a long time since i've seen a bond film i saw him in casino royale which is phenomenal and i saw Salmon Quantum of Solace, which I haven't seen in a long time. Admittedly, I've missed a all of his titles in between so i've had a long hiatus from watching a james bond film however these trailers have revealed a lot of things that i've enjoyed previously about the bond series which is fantastic one-liners a really charismatic james bond lots of action when you combine all these things together it kind of helps pull me out of the grapevine and gets me really pumped to see this movie so like i said i haven't seen a bond movie in about 10 years actually a little too young to really understand what exactly was going on but now that i'm older i'm a little wild or I've seen a lot more movies. I can decipher movies and appreciate them more for just being really awesome action tropes. I can appreciate them for all the intricacies and all of the cool spy stuff that happens and actually be able to understand and apply it to my own life and draw an overall better experience from it as a film fan. I'm really excited to see what Rami Malek can do as the main villain for this upcoming movie. I really enjoyed him in just about everything I've seen him in from Bohemian Rhapsody all the way to even The Little Things, which wasn't a great movie overall, but I still like Rami Malek in it. In addition, it looks like James Bond is going to have a lot of help in this movie, a lot of accomplices. There's even Felix Leiter in this movie. For those of you who don't remember, Felix Leiter is the CIA agent that Bond links up with in Casino Royale, so I'm excited to see how those two are going to team up. But having said that, although I'm really excited for him to have so many different accomplices to work with, I'm a little worried that the movie is going to have too much meat on it to chew because of the fact that when you have Bond and then also three or four other people he's working with, to what seems to be very varying degrees it can be a little concerning because it's like is there going to be too much to pack into this movie to where it's going to feel diluted which we won't really know until the movie happens you tell a couple of my favorite moments from the trailer i three come to mind one is when he's in the old style aston martin he's in the car the car is getting shot up obviously it's bulletproof glass and he just says Okay, and then he spins around the car and has the machine guns going through the headlights. That was really sweet. And also, there's two one-liners that come to mind. One of them is when he's in the car with the woman. I didn't catch her name in the trailer. But he says, everybody's got secrets. 
we just haven't found out yours yet. And then also when he's talking to Rami Malek as the villain, he says history hasn't been kind to those who try to play God. It just it gives me chills. Just one-liners like that, I think, are just so James Bond. It feels so authentic, genuine, and real. So my friends, I am super pumped for this movie, and I think the trailers have done a great job of marking it. I can't wait to see it when it comes out on October 8th. But I want to know what you think. Are you super excited to see No Time to Die? Whatever you think, you know where the comment section is. Let me know. Next up, the Saints Row reboot trailer announcement. Last week at Gamescom, the Saints Row reboot trailer was shown off. And overall, it had a lot of different reactions. A lot of people who weren't really so excited about it. Perspectives that were being offered, I just wanted to throw mine into the mix. My friends, if you're enjoying videos just like these, feel free to like, comment, and subscribe at your leisure, or check out any of my other plays that you might be interested in to join in on the fun. But overall, after watching the trailer, I was okay with it. For a little bit of context, the only Saints Row game I've played in the past is Saints Row 2. Saints Row 2 is probably one of the funnest games I've ever played. It blew me away when I played it. It was hours of endless fun. Me and my brother had a great time with it, and a lot of good memories are associated with me and that game. My overall analysis of the Saints Row reboot trailer is based totally without expectations and without regards to the original. I acknowledge the fact that it is his own thing and that's why I have this perspective of being okay with it. What did I like about the trailer? It seems to be adhering toward more of a modern age. It seems to leverage technology and more youth culture a lot more than in the past and it's still got a certain amount of fun elements to it like getting really creative with car chases, getting really creative with teammates. It seems like a co-op option would be enabled or implied given the fact that you're running around doing this mission with three other friends. Again, just an implication, not, not confirming that necessarily, but that's just the impression I'm getting from the trailer. And also with the included technology that they're using like smartphones, it seems like there's more, a little bit more strategy involved to the game than would be in the original Saints Row franchise, and I'm always one for a little bit more of an additional strategy. I saw one person comment that it's almost akin to Watch Dogs, which I actually really like that comparison. Having said that, there's of course things that balance this out that I didn't like about the trailer. First off, it seemed almost a little too cartoony for me. Like, it almost seemed as though it was trying way too hard to be Fortnite. The characters that were used in this trailer, they were too young, too cartoony and I just couldn't take them seriously enough to look at them as really much of an overall threat. They were fun, they were young, they were vibrant, but like I said, those are all things that I associate with Fortnite and I just could not get Fortnite out of my head. Didn't take it as seriously as I wanted to. Having said that, some of the weapons that they're using are pretty darn cool. At the end of the day, we won't know how this game is going to be till it actually comes out. I am willing to say that I would be willing to give it a playthrough. At that point, only time will tell if I'm going to enjoy it or not. If anything else, I'm intrigued by the whole prospect of the Saints Row reboot, I am willing to give it a fair shake. But my friends, I want to know what you think of the Saints Row reboot trailer. Whatever you think, you know where the comment section is. Let me know. Next up, a Netflix movie that ended up hitting my radar by sheer luck, which is going to be The Mitchells vs. The Machines. Here's my spoiler-free review of it. Mitchells vs. The Machines is all about a family who's doing a cross-country road trip to drop off their daughter, Katie, back at film school for college. It's her freshman year, but along this way, they run into a robot apocalypse, and then they're the last hope for humanity's survival because they're the last humans remaining. The robot apocalypse was caused by a company basically inventing an AI that got a little bit too smart in their smartphones, and they took over the world with all their robots. So then... 
we have our movie. So starting off with my overall thoughts for this movie, this movie was shockingly entertaining, which is really crazy because this movie just flew way, way, way under my radar. The only reason I really heard about it is because of the fact that one of the content creators I watch pretty frequently, John Campia, he recommended this movie, The Mitchells vs. Machines, which is on Netflix for those of you who are curious. And this movie just works in so many different versatile ways. And it's just, it, it please watch this movie. The movie has a ton of heart and it features a family that is really, really relatable and therefore really easy to empathize with. And it really helps this movie along quite nicely. So getting into the high points of this movie, what did I really love about it? Well, first of all, the family in this movie, The Mitchells, is amazing in many many ways they're super funny they're super relatable they you can feel the love and the heart that they have between each other the movie does a really good job throughout it with kind of navigating the insecurities and the vulnerabilities of each family member and thus it makes it easier to empathize with them because it's showing that they're vulnerable it's showing that they're people not just characters and these obstacles that they're overcoming they're both driven by both internal family sources so conflict between each other and external forces as well another thing i really liked about this movie the animation I thought was really really gorgeous I don't know if it's just because of the TV I was watching this on but when I was watching this movie every step of the way I thought this is exactly what animation should look like. It looked pristine. And plus they utilized it in really effective ways that were a lot different than in other movies that I've seen. They almost took a stylistic approach that reminded me of Zombieland, right? There are these intermittent moments where they just threw in some animations and really fun creative ways that totally fit within the DNA movie and that totally worked and it made it a lot more fun to watch. And despite it almost reminding me of Zombieland in that sense, it was still a bit of its own spin on it to the point where it didn't feel like it was directly replicating it, but it was also its own flavor. Another thing I really enjoy about this movie, it's really, really versatile overall. There is something for everyone to love, whether or not you're a child or an adult. The movie is really funny. The dog is hilarious. The themes that are brought up can vary from mature themes to themes that are relevant for a younger audience. This movie does all of this in really subtle ways, so it's not really throwing anything in your face. It lets you sit back and enjoy and have a really fun ride. The plot is kind of humorous and a little bit far out there. It's a little bit more sci-fi, and it's just really, really enjoyable for everybody. Like This is a perfect movie for you and your whole family to sit down and watch together and absolutely just eat up and enjoy it. And next, kind of going into some of those themes that I've kind of touched on there's a whole bunch of different themes that are related to inner family stuff technology social media the whole prospect of kids growing up like what that looks like in the eyes of parents on the other side of that kids growing up and kind of coming into their own figuring out what their passions are the struggles that they face along the way the coming of age part about it this movie brings up all of those themes into one bite-sized package and it's just amazing to me that this movie fits all of that in along with being funny along with having gorgeous animation doing it all really really subtly and having a really relatable family all into one two-hour package that doesn't feel too bloated and feels pretty adequately paced throughout. And they do a good job of kind of visiting each family member's struggle. The fact that it kind of goes through each one of them, it allows you as the audience to kind of draw your own relations to them. And jumping into some of the things that the family struggles with and some of those themes kind of interlacing with social media and technology, the movie brings up these conversations that I distinctly remember having with my own family members from five to 10 years ago. And there's conversations that are still kind of being had and evolving. And this movie, like I said, brings it up in such really subtle, fun ways that it's like, huh, 
I can remember having that exact same conversation with this family member however long ago or just really recently. And that's just for a movie to be that culturally relevant is so cool and it's really, really refreshing. While at the same time feeding you these themes without making it feel like it's trying to make you chug down spoiled milk in the process, it's a super refreshing thing to just not have these things shoved in your face. It's great. Now getting into what I didn't really love about this movie, there's only one thing that crossed my mind as I was watching this movie and that's that in the second half it just dragged on a little bit too long. At one point I was kind of thinking to myself well we're still in this particular spot and still in this particular scene for just a little too long. If it was just 5-10 minutes shorter I'd have been satisfied with that but that is the only thing I didn't like about this movie. So with that my friends if I had to give this movie a score it is a 9 out of 10. It is an amazing movie. I've never seen a movie that is so versatile, so fun, so relatable to such a wide audience and does all of this in really ways and fits it into a two-hour bite-sized package without feeling extremely bloated or trying to force feed you spoiled milk. I will go as far as to say that this is probably one of my favorite animated films of all time, so please do yourself a favor. After this video, go ahead and watch it. Alright my friends, have you seen the Mitchells versus Machines? If so, what did you think of it? You know where the comment section is. Let me know. Next up is going to be my review of Marvel's newest title, which just debuted the other day, starring Simu Liu. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, here's my spoiler for your review. Shang-Chi is the story of a guy named Sean, or Shang-Chi, played by Simu Liu, who's living his life in San Francisco alongside his best friend Katie, who's played by Aquafina. While they're riding the bus to work one day, this group of mysterious thugs goes ape on them and just attacks them. And in the process, they make a threat toward his sister Shang, and then he has to reunite with her and save her and brings Katie along for the ride. And from there on, we've got our movie. And one very interesting journey to boot. So what are my overall thoughts on this movie? I thought this movie was really solid. There's a lot of layers to really unpack about Shang-Chi as we get on with the movie and discover more about him and his family. There's a lot of humor present in this movie. They really explore some interesting concepts throughout. The identity the movie chose early on was consistent and really strong. And the chemistry between all the characters, especially Aquafina and Shang-Chi, made it a really fun watch. So let's start off with what I really, really enjoyed about this movie. I really enjoyed the chemistry between Shang-Chi or Sean and his best friend, Katie. The two of them together have this really interesting bond where they're very relatable. They're just living their lives like normal people. They like to go out, they like to have fun and they like to live their lives and it makes them a lot easier to root for and empathize with and i get to give a lot of credit to both of them as actors because the movie tells us that they are best friends and they go full send on it and really convince us as the audience that they are really best friends and because of those excellent performances and that dynamic it really makes them fun to watch throughout the movie and they never overstay their welcome especially the humor that comes with them they are consistently funny throughout the entirety of the movie. And to really top the icing on the cake here, there's actually a point in this movie, you see this scene in the trailers where Shang-Chi is kind of fighting alongside this building. There, that, that In that particular scene, it kind of almost reminded me of a Rush Hour 2 moment. Like, there's a moment in this movie where you're like, oh yeah, definitely reminds me of Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan in Rush Hour, Aquafina being Chris Tucker, Simu Lu being Jackie Chan. It's just when I put that meta moment together, it just made it even funnier. And like I said, the banter between the two characters really exists all movie long, never gets old, and a really nice supplement to that is actually Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley performs a small role in this movie, and I thought he was excellent addition and supplement to the humor piece of it all. And speaking into that, moving into the next thing I liked about this movie, the movie really maintains this identity of being really, really funny, really humorous, but also getting down to business when it needed to. And I just thought it really struck a nice chord. In this movie, it kind of tells you like, okay, there are serious times, there are serious consequences with serious situations, but it's a reminder in life never to take things too seriously. Like as Aquafina, as Katie, and Simu Liu, as Shang-Chi, are going through these trials and tribulations, they never forget to have fun. And to me, that just speaks to the message of 
Never take yourself too seriously in life because it's so short and you only get to live one. Get down to business when it's time, but don't forget to have fun in the process and don't lose yourself. And I, again, it really adds to that piece of them being super relatable, which I think is very rare for superhero characters. The fact that this superhero character could just be, be us, and to me, it's just a really powerful message. Overall, it's just a really refreshing prospect that this movie struck very nicely with. And another thing I enjoyed about this movie, despite it being part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, this movie does a really great job of standing on its own, which I have to give mad props to Kevin Feige and the whole entire Marvel team, because with them making 20-plus movies in this whole series, I think it's very hard to introduce new people like that at times, but they've done this great job of every movie could stand nearly on its own if you have a friend who has never seen a marvel movie and you want to bring them to this movie they'll be able to follow along just fine no strings attached and they'll have a great time with you along the way and the last thing i really enjoyed about this movie there's a lot of different asian cultural nods that this movie makes along with interesting family dynamics and they combine each other in such a way that makes the movie a lot more cathartic than i thought it would be touching on the cultural nods part of that critique the fact that this movie is able to really exemplify Asian heritage and the fact of the way they dress, the way that their combat fighting style is, art, family styles, it's just something that was really, really cool and I thought it was a really nice, unique touch to the movie and it really brought me into it a lot more. It just felt really authentic and genuine in that regard. And diving e deeper into the family dynamics part of that piece, it touches on really interesting issues like abandonment, grief, coping, and other family dynamics that just really hit home and just beg a lot of interesting questions for us as the audience. And even more so, the movie kind of touches upon how it could change and morph you into who you are over time, and I thought that was a really fascinating conversation to have. And even more so, considering that I would consider this as a Shang-Chi origin story, it kind of helps to touch upon that because Shang-Chi is on this path to self-discovery figuring out who he is and i just really enjoyed that part because i'm a sucker for a good origin story and i gotta say this is the case for both shang chi and his sister shang it, it, it them going through the trials and tribulations of their life and struggling with all these different themes and also concepts it really morphs into who they are and the movie does a good job of showcasing what odd they've had to overcome in order to get where they are and where they're going they of course focus on shang chi mainly in this movie which is appropriate considering the movie is shang chi and the legend of the ten rings but i'm glad they touched upon his sister just a little bit as well and having said that i thought shang was actually a really interesting and dynamic character overall and i think the beauty of this is they were able to showcase that without telling us too much they built a lot of mystery around her and it wouldn't shock me at all if marvel one day announced that they had a spin-off series with shang i would be interested in something like that but i'm probably getting ahead of myself point is shang is a really interesting dynamic character and i thought really aided that brotherly sisterly bond of them kind of going through this whole situation together and i just thought it was really fun to watch unfold so with all that in mind what did i not like so much about this movie so for me there's a point in this movie where it kind of comes to this screeching halt, not in terms of pace, but in terms of quality for me. The dialogue between some of the characters started to just drop below standard. It was just very clunky. It didn't make a ton of sense. And even some of the character decisions that they have each of them make along the way also didn't make any sense. And it was to the point where I think if they cut some of that out of the movie, it would have made this movie even better than what it already was. And it just... It almost ruined the movie for me. I, I got a little worried that it was just going to take a nosedive. Luckily, the movie ended up picking back up again. And digging a little bit deeper within that, there's some things that they have the characters do and accomplish that I'm like, could they really do that in that time frame? It just, I, I wasn't really buying all the things that the movie was trying to sell to me, and it took me out of the movie. But at the end of the day, it didn't ruin the movie for me, but it got pretty darn close.
And overall, and maybe this was by design, I didn't really care too much about the Ten Rings organization that they had in this movie. I thought all of them were just really pawns. Even the henchman in the movie was kind of uncharismatic and really uninteresting. Like I said, there's so much going on in this movie that they can't fit everything into this package. But all right, my friends, so with all that out of the way, if I had to give this movie a score, I'm going to say it is an 8 out of 10. It is a great time at the movies. Steamulu and Aquafina were excellent together on screen. Plenty of humor exists. Really interesting family dynamics and concepts were touched upon and explored, and also some very great cultural nods that made the movie a lot more wholesome and feel like a bigger experience. The movie does dip in quality at, at a point in this movie, but it continues back on its upward trajectory, so I'm going to say go ahead and see it, you won't be disappointed, and you're in for some great viewing. Alright my friends, so have you seen Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings? If so, what did you think of it? Or where does it rank on your favorite Marvel movie list of all time? You know where the comment section is, let me know. And then lastly, but not least, the new segment for this week, which is going to be my favorite three game franchises of all time. Before I get into this segment, I just want to ask you guys, my friends, feel free to chime in as to what your three game franchises of all time might be. For whatever reasons, I'd be curious to know. Let's get started. Starting off here at number three for me is going to be Assassin's Creed. So for those of you who don't know, Assassin's Creed made its franchise debut all the way back in 2007 with Assassin's Creed 1, just the self-titled game. It was published by Ubisoft, or I believe developed by Ubisoft, if I'm not mistaken. And the franchise has since stuck with Ubisoft, but has changed pretty drastically as time has gone on. Now, the very first game with Altair Ibn Lahad was not really received particularly with high praise. IGN gave it, I believe, a 7.4, if I'm not mistaken. And the game was good, and it was cited that it had a lot of potential, but it wasn't loved by a wide variety of audiences. I didn't... The Assassin's Creed 1 wasn't really my introduction into the franchise. Assassin's Creed 2 was, but I'll jump on that in just a second. But Assassin's Creed 2 is where I started in this series and i gotta say out of all places for me to start in this series i'm glad it was that game for a multitude of reasons and kind of jumping into what makes this game franchise for me really really special is because i associate it with my adolescence i started playing assassin's creed when i was you know in high school i was a teenager kind of morphing into a young man and just making friends, staying up all night to play this game with my friends, having really early mornings getting up to play this game with my friends. It was something that I'll cherish forever and I'll never forget. It was just a great time and I think that's why it makes this top three list for me overall. But having said that, just because it plays a special part in my life doesn't mean it was. it's not a great game franchise because... To couple with that, this game franchise is just legendary. It's really, really phenomenal. And... I'm going to start off this sort of discussion, uh, kind of getting into Assassin's Creed 2 of where I started liking all these games. Now, the one thing that is really, that really, really sucked me in was the character of Ezio Auditore da Firenze in the, in the three game arc that we get him in, in Assassin's Creed 2, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, and Assassin's Creed Revelations, when that character and Assassin's Creed 2 is your introduction to the franchise. I don't think you can help but absolutely be totally on board because Ezio, we get to see him literally from birth all the way to the end, toward the end of his life at the, by the end, by the time we reach the end of Revelations. And 
they stick the landing enough and there's so many different milestones in him being from birth to becoming an assassin for the first time and kind of morphing into a mentor and it's just really powerful there's a lot of rich story within that he goes through a lot of trials and tribulations he goes through family tragedies he goes through so much and you're riding shotgun with him literally the entire time and it was just such an enriching and powerful experience and when all that is set within renaissance italy it's like what more could you possibly want and especially if you're a history person like i am my favorite subject in school was history this game just had the complete package and what i really enjoyed about it was the fact that it was at the time i've heard the term stealth action thrown around which i would agree with because it's a linear story you you're pretty much confined to a certain particular set of space there's many games that you can try throughout but it wasn't too much to the point where it's overwhelming i think that's what i really appreciated about it was the fact that it was the combat was simple it didn't really take too long to master i would almost argue that it was maybe a little bit too simple and a little too easy to master but nonetheless it was just really fun and the game was just so appealing cinematically with all of the drama that happens with how Ezio deals with all that trauma how his family deals with that how he grows it was just such a special three game arc that ended up getting me started off in this franchise and helped me be a fan of it for most of my life so far now with brotherhood brotherhood i think took everything that was great about assassin's creed 2 and sort of turned it up a notch the reason being is because you got to ride in a lot of leonardo, leonardo da vinci's different contraptions like the tank i distinctly remember uh his flying machine he called it the we probably know it now is paragliding it and expanded the map a little bit it made the story still really strong added more to the gun that you got to use and it was just really creative and i think it was a nice step up for the franchise so it kind of continued that momentum for me plus you get more rich history with Ezio Aditore, who is by far to me the greatest character in the franchise if not one of the greatest characters in video game history and what i really admire about the franchise at the end of this three game arc is the fact that they did an adequate job i think in sticking the landing to Ezio's journey i, I don't want to spoil the end of assassin's creed revelations for those of you who haven't played it i'm going to say out of the three game arc that you play Ezio, which is two brotherhood and revelations revelations was probably the least entertaining of the three games in that arc but nonetheless like i said i think it did a good job of wrapping up Ezio auditore's story and was a satisfying conclusion now journeying beyond revelations the one thing i really enjoyed about this franchise and the the thing i think makes it still relevant today and has been relevant for a while is the fact that it goes through these transition periods where they change characters they change the protagonist mainly they evolve the visuals and the graphics the character models change the background settings change the historical landscape changes and i think it makes the games new and refreshing and it's not afraid to try to stray from outside the norm the first flavor of this that i got was the transition between assassin's creed revelations and assassin's creed 3 I might be in the minority on this, but I really, really enjoyed Assassin's Creed 3, and I was also, I enjoyed Connor Kenway enough, he wasn't my favorite character, but when you go from Ezio Auditore to a character like Connor, who's a lot more stoic, a lot more raw, 
it, 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 it's it's definitely a different look and feel, and it's not nearly as cinematic and entertaining as Ezio is. Now, for me personally, I'm a sucker for more of a cinematic story with compelling characters, and that's why I think Assassin's Creed 2, Brotherhood, and Revelations are so big for me, but 3 was definitely a different flavor of that. Connor, it was a lot more of an open world. It was a lot more to explore, and plus, just running around throughout the American Revolution was super, super entertaining. And... Where the game really shines strongest for me, and I think they picked up on this when it came to its sequel, which is Assassin's Creed 4, was the sea battling. They let you dabble into being Co Captain Connor Kenway and being able to ride around on these sea voyage mi missions, and it was a ton of fun and, a, like I said, a really nice way of the franchise kind of subtly trying different things and reinventing itself to move forward. And... I think this was the best thing that Ubisoft ever did, now transitioning from Assassin's Creed 3 to Assassin's Creed 4, was fully leaning into the whole pirate landscape and battling at sea. And for that reason, I would actually go as far as to say that Assassin's Creed 4 was nearly a masterpiece and is probably my second favorite game in the entire franchise. It was hours upon hours of endless fun, and the best part about it was the fact that I thought the story was pretty solid. I enjoyed the story of Assassin's Creed 4 enough. But it's very rare for me to enjoy a game just purely for the fun of just playing its different mechanics and leaning into it. Meaning, I super enjoyed just battling at sea, taking over ships, beating legendary ships, upping my crew, upping my battle. And it was just a fun time and I never got tired of it. And very few games can really make me feel that way and make me say that. So Assassin's Creed 4, I think for a lot of Assassin's Creed fans, is probably in their top three. It certainly is in mine, and I don't blame them for that. Even if it's not inside your top three, I wouldn't blame you either because Assassin's Creed 4 was a Far Cry from, no pun intended with Ubisoft developing Far Cry and Assassin's Creed, but Assassin's Creed 4 was a much different flavor of the Assassin's Creed franchise than any of us had ever seen up until that point. With Assassin's Creed Brotherhood Revelations and 2, and also 1 for that matter, it really leaned into the Brotherhood in and of itself, what it means to be an assassin, why they are assassins, the whole conflict between assassins and Templars. They really leaned into that into those games, but in 3 and 4, they really strayed away from a lot of that, and they barely even really talk about it in Assassin's Creed 4. It isn't really until the end of the game where... Uh, Edward Kenway doesn't really fully grasp what it means to be an assassin. And when I think of Edward Kenway, I don't think of Edward Kenway the assassin. I think of Edward Kenway the pirate, which, take that for what you will, but still, it was a super entertaining game for, for many, many reasons, and it really helped keep my love of the franchise alive, despite it being in existence for however many years up until that point. Now... I talk about transition periods a little bit between a few installments of the game, and now this kind of brings me into the next installment of the franchise, which I was still on board with at this point, which is the transition between, I'm going to say, Assassin's Creed Rogue, which I thought was a fun game, a fun spinoff, and Assassin's Creed Unity. They, again, up to this point, they got to this point, they changed the gameplay a little bit, made it look a little smoother, and they also updated the visuals again, and they introduced a new character. And when the game first came out, I know a lot of people said it was very buggy, it was very unpolished and unfinished, which I think Ubisoft games can be 
a little notorious for. They've since gotten better at that, but I enjoyed Assassin's Creed Unity in that transition phase once again because at the end of the day, it kind of went, it harkened back to the whole conflict between Assassins and Templars and it went back to its roots a little bit, which I enjoyed. Having said that, for those who were looking for more battles at sea, more of a pirate-like adventure, will probably have been disappointed within that game. But for me personally, like I said, I was still always fascinated with historical figures and the whole conflict between Assassins and Templars, so it made for a really entertaining story, and there was a lot of good uh, plots and plot twists within it that made it a really fun ride for me personally. And other than that, I guess I don't really have too much to say on that between Unity and Syndicate, and I guess this is a good time to just kind of transition over to Syndicate. Syndicate kind of followed that same path, except you're with Jacob and Evie Fry, the Fry twins, and it just kind of continued to build upon what was established in Unity. I enjoyed Syndicate. I haven't played it in years. I remember enjoying the heck out of it, and I especially really enjoyed the continuation of when you're going to assassinate certain big characters within the game. They give you an option of just going straight in, just guns blazing. They give you the option of stealth, and they give you the option to get really, really creative. And I like that about the Assassin's Creed franchise, how it gives you options to do so. Me, personally, I'm always a fan of player choice, and the more games can do that for you, I'm all for it. And I think Syndicate played really, really nicely on that. So, Unity and Syndicate, while they weren't my favorite games in the franchise, I still think they held it up for me and kept it within the DNA of what Assassin's Creed had been up until that point to keep me drawn in and interested. Now, that brings me over into the most recent transition phase, I'll call it, which is the transition phase between Assassin's Creed Syndicate and Assassin's Creed Origins. Now, before I give my thoughts on that transition, I will say that at this point, Assassin's Creed had successfully gone from being a stealth action game to more of a full-on RPG open-world game. And I have to be frank, this is where the franchise kind of lost me a little bit. When I had started originally playing Origins, to me, I had always thought up until that point, Assassin's Creed maps kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the danger with getting bigger is the fact that, sure, there is plenty to do and there's plenty of player choice to be had, which I really enjoy. But as someone who really enjoys story, it got to the point where it was just too much for me. Like, there's so much to do. There are so many weapons. There's so many different levels for different weapons. There's so much resources you can grab. There are things you can craft. You got to go far and wide to get these resources. And to me, it was just too much. It was too much, it took me out of the story, and after a while, I just didn't really enjoy Assassin's Creed anymore. Like, I gave Origins a shot, I did finish it, I finished the story all the way through, but by the time I finished, I was so exhausted, I'm like, I don't think I could play Origins again, it just didn't really speak to me for those reasons. And I decided to give the next game in the franchise a shot, the game is... The, the name of it is escaping me, Assassin's Creed Origins, Assassin's Creed Odyssey odyssey the greek uh version of the game and i played that and it was more of the same and i never finished odyssey i believe i have put in like 10 12 hours of it and i believe i'm like 10 percent of the way through the game and i'm like i've already put 10 to 12 hours in this game and i'm I, i'm not even a quarter of the way into it it was just too much it was too big there's too much to do there's too much to explore i lose track of what's going on in the story 
And for someone who really digs rich story in a linear experience, it just didn't really appeal to me personally. Now, I don't want to yuck on anybody's yum because I know a lot of people who absolutely love the, trans the transition of the franchise to a fully RPG style game and many people have embraced it. I'm just not one of those people, me personally. It's just not for me. But for those of you who love it, kudos to you because I wish I could love it as much as you guys do. And it sort of harkens back to my earlier point where the franchise had to grow. It had to evolve. By the time it transitioned between Syndicate to Assassin's Creed Origins, it has to continue to reinvent itself because if it doesn't, the franchise dies and People don't want that, especially Ubisoft, because Assassin's Creed is one of their most highly regarded franchise and makes them a lot of money. So I don't blame them at all. And things grow, things change, and that's just part of life. So for those reasons, Assassin's Creed kind of fell off the radar for me. Will I ever pick it up again in these later games? I'm never going to say never. But am I going to rush out to play Valhalla? No, not really. Am I going to rush out to buy the next Assassin's Creed game? Whenever it comes out in a couple of years. Probably not, but for those of you who love it, I say bravo to you all. So for those reasons, my friends, that is my third favorite game franchise of all time, which is Assassin's Creed. Is it on your list? Is it outside your list? Do you even enjoy the franchise? Whatever you think, you know where the comment section is. Let me know. So now, that kind of brings us to another transition period, but before I get into my second favorite game franchise of all time, I just want to invite you guys, if you guys are enjoying videos just like these, and feel free to like, comment, subscribe at your leisure, check out any other any other playlists I got going on. I also talk about movies on this channel, I talk about TV shows, and I of course talk about video games, so if you guys are into that stuff, feel free to check it out and join in on the fun, because I enjoy having you all. So, now transitioning into my second game franchise, my second favorite game franchise of all time. It's going to be, drumroll please, it's going to be Gears of War. So, backpedaling just a little bit here. The Gears of War franchise, it was created by Epic Games all the way back in 2006. Cliff Blazinski was the inceptor of the game, and I would argue the franchise father, I guess you could say. If you guys haven't listened to any interviews about Cliff Blazinski, I want you to look up the Ryan McCaffrey IGN unfiltered interview with between him and Cliff because it's a lot of fun. You get a really down-to-earth look at a very big giant in the gaming industry. And he's just really he's a really cool guy, really relatable. And I just encourage you all to learn more about him because he, he he's brilliant. He created the franchise and he's got some good stories to go with that. But anyways, having said that, it made its franchise debut in 2006 and it was groundbreaking. And I have to say, for me personally, I have liked every single game in the Gears of War franchise and all of the DLC that I have played since its birth all the way up until right now with Hive Busters and Gears 5. And it's just the gift that keeps on giving. I still play multiplayer. I, I own Gears 5. For a little bit of reference, the Gears of War 4, Xbox One, uh, the limited edition console, I bought it, I played it, I loved it, I enjoyed it. The Gears 5, Xbox One X limited edition console, I bought it, I still have it today, I play it all the time, and I absolutely love it. And even Gears of War Judgment, which from what I've seen in a lot of different podcasts and different comment sections, just feedback on the game... Despite a lot of people not really enjoying Judgment, I personally really enjoyed it. And even the transition period between Judgment and Gears of War Ultimate Edition and Gears of War 4, I've even still be been a hardcore fan of the franchise 
throughout that transition period when it went from Epic Games to the Coalition, and it's stuck with me ever since, and I still play the games all the time. So getting into not only that, but also like the part of my life I associate this game with, I associate it with actually most of my life. I started playing this game in uh, 2000, and I want to say eight or nine maybe, I had a friend who owned the game because I didn't own an Xbox at the time, and of course Gears of War is an Xbox exclusive. I would go over to his house, we would just play Gears of War for hours on the weekends. It was a ton of fun. We would play it for four or five, six hours on end. We beat the Gears of War 1 campaign on Insane together. It was a very triumphant moment. And it's just kind of a game that sort of stuck with me, and I would argue is one of the main driving forces to me getting an Xbox uh, 360 or an Xbox One, whatever console I got first. So game holds a special place in my heart, and the whole franchise holds a special place in my heart, which is why it is on this list for me. And not only that, obviously, this game franchise has been one of the most highly regarded in gaming history, probably the short history that gaming has had, but it's the the crux of it really rests on the shoulders of excellent characters, excellent main characters in the form of Marcus Phoenix, who's voiced by an excellent voice actor in John DiMaggio, and also supporting characters with Baird, Cole, Dom, and now with JD, with Kate, with Dell, and even Queen Mira. And the franchise is just able to ride these characters, have really, really rich story, have excellent multiplayer mechanics, and is able to adequately explore all of their past lives and make them all each really interesting in their own right and they just continue to exceed with it over and over and over again and it continues to reinvent itself through the introduction of things like multiplayer with gears of war 2 and gears of war 1 somewhat and then the introduction of a uh, horde in gears of war 3 i remember playing horde for hours and hours on end when i had gears of war 3 it was one of my favorite in the franchise and it was a ton of fun and plus, like I said, the rich story that happens between Marcus Phoenix and Dom as brothers, I mean, they're best friends in the game, but you really feel the bond that they truly believe they are brothers, and when they go to war together, it's like, wow, this is some next level shit. So, for those reasons, there's a lot of ways in which you can love the Gears of War franchise, and I love it for pretty much all of that at the same time. And... The one other thing that I also want to touch on is the fact that the, the I remember playing this game when I was younger, and the one thing that really stuck out to me is how hyper-violent it was. It was the first game franchise I saw of its kind where it was blatantly violent. It was very in-your-face. The All the characters are beefed up out of this world almost to a point of being cartoonish, which... I think helped formulate the Gears of War identity and DNA that we've seen in all these games. It's like your classic meathead soldiers who are really smart guys. It's just they have ginormous arms and really creative weapons to to boot and make it, it it's just everything about it is so creative, different, and fun and has really made this franchise what it is. And even something as simple as the Lancer weapon is something that you can associate with this franchise and really enjoy. In the interview that I listened to between Ryan McCaffrey and Cliff Blazinski, I believe they talk about the fact that they almost cut the Lancer uh, weapon from the game entirely, and I can't imagine where the Gears of War franchise would be today without it. I'm sure the franchise in and of itself would still be successful, but it's like that is like the one thing, the one weapon that is just stuck with the franchise forever, and I can't imagine not using it. So it was really creative, 
really groundbreaking, really innovative. And like I said, to boot, the story was just rich and the gameplay was ridiculously fun. And plus, Gears of War was one of the first of its kind, from what I remember, to really be a cover-based shooter where you can take cover and it wasn't too complicated to take cover. All I had to do was press the A button, which is great. Active reloads is a really fun novel concept that was introduced. And even the whole Locust Cog combat mechanic was really interesting. The story behind that and Queen Mira, where Queen Mira came from. The franchise has done such a great job of slowly introducing that over time and just giving the fans a little bit more to build into. And that brings me to the lore of the entire franchise because there are books upon books and you, there are hundreds of YouTube videos about just the lore of the game and the Coalition Epic Games and Cliff have just built this excellent world where you could spend hours in it and still not know everything about it. It's just a very rich history, a very rich world that I just can't get enough of and is so much fun and is so fascinating to study. And is very, there's even some themes, and I, this, I argue this might be a stretch, but there's even some themes that you can relate to real world stuff, like with the whole emulsion conflict and the pendulum wars, how they go into that a little bit. They don't really talk about it too much in the original Gears franchise, but in Gears 4, they kind of touch on it a little bit, and I really appreciate that. But there's just so much to cover, and they continue to impress me when they find more story to tell, because it's always entertaining. And, I have to say the storytelling has been one of my favorite parts about the entire franchise too, because of the fact that it is very, it's very rich. I'm sure I've said that about twice now since I've started talking about it, but it's just, it still holds true no matter how you slice it. It's just, it, it it's amazing and I never get tired of it. And, oh, excuse me. With that, with the gears, the, the transition between Gears of War 3 and Judgment to Gears of War Ultimate Edition was a very interesting one because of the fact that Epic Games didn't, they, I don't think they really changed the companies. Epic Games and Coalition, I believe, are, they're not one and the same, but a lot of the people who worked on Gears of War from Epic Games, from what I understand, jumped on and joined the coalition. I can't remember how exactly that transition happened, but what I'm trying to say here is that the transition between Epic Games and the coalition working on it, it didn't stop the franchise or slow down the momentum at all. I still really bought into the franchise and really enjoyed the fact that it reinvented itself in that regard because it's sort of this handoff between uh, Marcus Phoenix, Delta Squad, the original Locust War, to JD, Kate, and Dell as they're trying to resolve this new conflict that's happening with the Swarman Hall, all that goes on. I thought that transition was very well done and very carefully crafted. My only complaint about the entire thing was the fact that in Gears of War 4, they didn't use Anya at all, and that really bothered me because I think that there's a lot more to explore with Anya, and I still would argue that there is more to explore about Anya. If they made a spinoff game, kind of like how they did with Judgment, specifically surrounding Anya, I would be okay with that because she's got a lot of history behind her that just hasn't really been talked about. So that's my only gripe with that transition period. But since then, I have really enjoyed Gears 4 and 5. I've heard a lot of people say that uh, JD isn't really that appealing or compelling of a character. And I would by and large agree with that because of the fact that we've been with how great Marcus is as a character and still is because he is still heavily involved all the way through Gears 5 and I'm glad that they've done that because he's so iconic but 
JD, there's not really too much very interesting about him besides him being the son of Marcus Phoenix. The only thing I would say and that I'd be interested in is the fact that when him and Dell went defective and deserted from the cog, I would be interested in touching on that. But yeah, it's like I don't look at JD as like the crux of the franchise anymore. In fact, with the conclusion of Gears 5, I would still say that um Kate is probably the crux of it, and Marcus is a good way of kind of segueing that a little bit. And I especially love the choice they had with Gears 5, where they tell they make you play through Kate through most of the game, and then the story is told through Kate's eyes. I thought that was a really powerful way to do it. I thought the writing was really strong in that area. And I also enjoyed how they really start to tie that into the previous Locust conflict and how just crazy all of it is together. It was brilliantly done, and it makes me really excited for Gears 6. So I'll stop gushing about Gears of War here, but for all those reasons, I am a Gears fan for life, and I continue to hope that it builds and builds and just keeps going in the right direction, because to me, they've just hammered it home every step of the way since its inception, and they've had great villains along the way too, which is something I forgot to mention. Rom and Scourge and Mira, all excellent villains, really entertaining. I'd say Scourge is probably the weakest out of the three and the least iconic, but still, I enjoyed him. He was a badass. But my friends, now, I ask you, is the Gears of War franchise in your favorited lists? If not, or if so, whatever you think of the franchise, you know where the comment section is. Let me know. All right, friends, so before we get into my last favorite franchise of all time, I just want to say thank you so much for watching the Coffee and Kernels podcast day. Friends, if you're enjoying videos just like these and want to get in on the fun, feel free to like, comment, or subscribe to the channel, or also check out any of the other videos and playlists that I have. I talk about movies, talk about video games, all that other great stuff. Follow me on TikTok, too, if you're interested in getting uh, content on social media, too. I'm on TikTok, Instagram, and the like. Linktree is in my profile. Whatever you need, we got you covered. And thanks for stopping by today. As always, I appreciate it. Okay, so now, my favorite game franchise of all time, drumroll, is Jack and Dexter. So Jack and Dexter, I'm just going to say this right off of the bat, Jack and Dexter was the very first video game memory I've ever had in my life, which is a large reason why it is number one on my list. I distinctly remember going to a friend of mine's house down the street one day, and his brother was playing this game, and I was just, there's something about it, I don't know what it was, I was just so fascinated by the game, the story, it was really entertaining, and it was the first time I actually had ever seen um, a PlayStation 2 game played, and it's actually my first video game memory that I can think of, I think I had a Nintendo 64 before that, but it, that was like the first, or not the first Nintendo, the first video game memory that I ever had, and I was just floored. It changed my world. The game, as a newer platformer, because it came out right as the PS2 launched, was so iconic. It debuted in December 3rd, 2001, I believe the date was. It was created by Naughty Dog. And it, to me, is just one of the greatest games of all time. And it's one of the greatest game franchises of all time. Actually, the greatest game franchise of all time for so many reasons. Not only because of the fact that it held a special place in my heart, but because of the fact that it was just genuinely such a great game franchise. When they came out with Jack and Dexter in 2001, it was a very original game. With it being a platformer, there is some DNA there that kind of gets associated with Banjo-Kazooie, gets associated with uh, Mario from the Nintendo 64, which I can see the comparison with 100%, but the way that Naughty Dog captured it 
And the way that they associated a larger, really compelling story with it is what really made the game special. What Banjo-Kazooie and Mario really lacked for me was a good story to go with it. And Jack and Dexter, it was more of an, not an adult way to tell the story. It was more of a mature way to tell the story. It was supremely entertaining. There was really great combat. The whole concept of Zoomers to me was a lot of fun. And they introduced it in enough doses to where it wasn't too much, but it wasn't too little. And just some of the concepts, the ideas that they introduced were just so unique and novel. And it just, it floored me. It changed my world forever. And where this franchise really, really took off for me and just totally just changed the trajectory for the rest of forever. And I still remember when I got each of these games when I was younger was the introduction of Jack 2 when it came out. And I believe it came out in 2004. But I remember... Jack 2 was gifted to me as a present, and I remember just dropping everything I did and just went upstairs and just started playing the game immediately. Jack 2 took everything amazing about Jack and Dexter and just turned it up to a million. It was insane. They gave Jack, our protagonist, a voice. It added to the great humor that in comic relief that Dexter possessed. It gave us zoomers to drive all the time. It gave us hoverboards. It gave us weapons. It gave us guns. It gave us more excellent story. It gave us an open world. It gave us anything you could ever want in a Jack and Dexter game just turned up to the nth degree. And they stuck the landing so well and they told it in yet again another amazing story. I would give a lot of money to go back and look as to how many hours I spent on Jack 2 because it had to be in the hundreds, if not thousands. I adored the game for so many reasons. And even more so, Jack as a as a protagonist was really fascinating because he has his gentle side, but then you got the addition of Dark Jack in this game too. His inner demons where he just goes ape on people and is just slicing and dicing all these guards and he's going up against a baron, he's fighting the front against the metalheads who are trying to get into uh, Haven City. It was just, words don't do it justice. Words just don't do it justice. I think IGN gave the game an 8.8, which amazing score. And I, it was just, wow, it was just amazing game. I can't gush about it enough. I would give a lot of money to go back and play it right now. In fact, I keep getting sorely tempted to buy a PlayStation 4 because like I said, I have an Xbox One, but I keep getting sorely tempted to buy a PlayStation 4 for the sole reason of going back and playing through all the Jack and Dexter games, one through three, not Jack X or Jack the Lost Frontier, just because of all the great memories and all the great gameplay that was had within the Jack and Dexter franchise. It was just absolutely phenomenal. And kind of transitioning a little bit from Jack 2 to Jack 3, I thought Jack 3 was another step in a positive direction in the series where the game I think excelled in Jack 3 was the addition of just the concept of the wasteland, an even bigger map without it being too big. You got to drive around in these really awesome vehicles that were customizable, a lot of fun, and you got to explore a lot. And you even got the introduction of Light Jack, which was fun. You got these really fun missions, these really fun racing mini games. And it was just, again, it was just capitalizing on what was great about two and put it into three. We got the introduction of other excellent, really rich story within it. And it really, I think, wrapped up Jack's story quite nicely. And my only wish is that we would have gotten a proper Jack four, which just continued to build on the game. But I'm thinking Naughty Dog was like, well, we're way ahead now. And we pretty much wrapped up this story. So we'll quit where our head, which I don't blame them. But yeah, it was just Jack 3 was just it was just so good. It was stellar and it just continued to build 
in all the right ways and it was just phenomenal for me the favorite part was driving around in the cars though on the wayside i thought that was just that was super sweet all, all over all the way around now although the jack and dexter franchise is my favorite of all time it didn't not have its hiccups and i think after three if they wouldn't have made jack x i think they would have been totally fine but what i didn't enjoy i didn't really enjoy jack x which is jack x combat racing for those of you who don't know the reason i enjoyed jack x is because i was really hoping it would be a sequel to three where we'd get story you could run around you could have weapons you would be dark jack light jack all that other good stuff but it was just a combat racing game which in and of itself, it was a fine racing game to play. I don't personally absolutely love racing games all that much, so it didn't really appeal to my particular tastes. But I know a lot of people who have probably enjoyed it. It just, for me, it just didn't really... I, I was just looking for something different. And the one really poor thing about Jack X was the fact that it had this really bad bug. I can remember this to this day where you'd go to autosave and it would just keep autosaving and it would just corrupt my memory card on the PS2. For those of you who don't know, it was like the four kilobyte or four megabyte memory cards you used to have to plug in. It's so fun to think about that, but it kept having this bug. So I would keep having to like shut off the PlayStation like halfway through its saving and hope it didn't corrupt my data so I could keep playing and finish the game. And it was just so frustrating that that didn't really make it appeal to me either. In fact, I'm shocked I finished the game looking back on it. I just, I love the franchise so much. I couldn't help it, but I'll just leave it at that. Jack X was just not for me. And then years later in 2009 is where the last installment of the franchise, I think, was executed, which was Jack the Lost Frontier. At this point, High Impact Games ended up picking up the franchise. Naughty Dog wasn't going to do anything else with it, if I'm not mistaken, if memory serves me right. So High Impact Games ended up picking it up. I remember buying it at the store. I think I bought it at GameStop. I remember playing it. I don't remember what I thought about it, though. It's been a long time since I've picked it up and played it. I don't remember it being very stellar, because if it was great, I probably would have eaten it up and enjoyed it. I remember finishing it, but other than that, don't really remember too much of it. But I will say the games that Jack and Dexter, Jack 2 and Jack 3 were, were so good, so rich in story, so much fun, so creative, innovative, and just iconic platformers that were something I'll never forget and still to this day make me tempted to buy a PS4 just for the sole reason of playing those games and to also play other great games as well. And I gotta say, I gotta give Naughty Dog a ton of credit for 1, 2, and 3 because they have followed up the Jack and Dexter franchise with other amazing franchises too. The Last of Us being the first one that comes to mind because that is... The Last of Us is probably one of the greatest games of all time that I have ever played and a lot of people feel the same because it's insanely popular. But for those two reasons, I keep getting tempted to buy a PS4. And Jack and Dexter will forever hold a special place in my heart because of just how awesome it was. And I hope to one day play it again soon. And if I end up playing it and end up getting a PlayStation 4, you guys will be the first to know. So, my friends, that actually brings us to the end of the segment. Those were my three favorite game franchises of all time. That's Assassin's Creed at number three. Gears of War, number two, and the Jack and Dexter franchise at number one. But I want to know, my friends, what are your favorite three game franchises of all time? Whatever they are, and for whatever reasons you have, I am I totally would love to hear all of them. Whatever they are, comment below and let me know. Okay, my friends, that'll do it for this episode of Coffee and Kernels. Once again, thanks so much for joining me. Like, comment, subscribe, or check out any of these other great playlists to join in on the fun and get in on the fandom. Once again, this has been the Banker of Pippo YouTube channel. And until next time, have a great day.